0: and lead us in prayer as we come to the Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment where we get to come together and open your Word together and to consider what you might say to us through it. And um, Lord, this is not something that uh, is monotonous to us. Lord, your word is um, living and active and we're thankful thankful today for that. And I pray that that would be true for us, that we would would see your word as living and active today, that your Holy Spirit would bring it to life for us today, that the truth that's present in the scriptures that we read today would, would come to life and they would speak into every circumstance and situation that we're facing. Lord, I pray that you'd be able to help us to hear your voice today. I pray that you would be able to um, open the eyes of our hearts, that we'd be able to know um, just a bit more of who you are and what you're like, and, and that we'd be able to see the way that you see us. I pray that we'd find comfort in your presence today, God, We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, so today's message um, is a bit like part two of last week's message because as I was doing last week's message, I got to a point where I was like, well, I intended to cover more than this, but that's enough for one Sunday. And so today's kind of like, yeah, part two of, of what we were looking at last week. And um, we didn't quite finish off chapter 12 of of the book of Hebrews, and so you probably guessed right, we're picking up right where we left off um, last Sunday, we looked at uh, Hebrews 12 verses 18 to 24, and this week we'll look at verses 25 to 29. And so I want to invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles with you, um, and so Hebrews, what, what we looked at last week, I should probably give you a little little refresher um, on that, a little recap. We talked about um, how coming into God's presence and particularly the way that entering uh, God's presence in the old covenant um, happened, right? We talked a bit about that and we contrasted it with how entering into God's presence happens in the new covenant, in the New Testament, and how that's expressed. And so the author of Hebrews talks about Um, this idea of entering God's presence with the image, excuse me, with the image of two mountains, right? And so he's using these two pictures of these two mountains to describe um, what it's like to enter into God's presence in both the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay, so that's the picture. The, The little heading in my NIV Bible says the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. And that's these two pictures that we're getting. So the first mountain that he talks about is Mount Sinai. It's a very significant mountain in the Old Testament. This is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, right? It's probably, if you could say, is there any physical place that's, you know, very significant, you know, in the Old Testament, this would be one of those highlighted places in that narrative. And so um, this is the mountain on which Moses meets with God and God's presence descends in dark clouds and it's, and it's gloomy and it's kind of like a terrifying image, of God. And, and as God speaks, God's voice literally shakes the earth. That's what it says. Not even an animal, let alone one of God's people, were allowed to ascend that hill, that mountain, without invitation. I think it was only Moses and Aaron who got an invitation to come up and meet with God at the top. And if anyone was to ever enter into God's presence or even touch the foot of the mountain uninvited, it meant certain death for them. You know, there was it was like there was just going to be that punishment and judgment carried out, and the picture we're getting is that God's perfection and His holiness is, um, you know, it cannot possibly be met with our imperfection and our unholiness, right? It's like God is just so other than than um, our imperfection. That was that was the image that we're provided with, and these two things cannot come together. There was like this sense of separation. And so this first mountain is found in Exodus 19. And after reading through that passage, I'm not going to do that now, but you can do that in your homework if you like. After reading through it, you get the sense in which there's a separation between God and his people, you know. And, um, and of course, the law provides that sense of connection again and he's leading them and guiding them throughout the narrative. But it just seems like a bit in, impersonal, you know, and, and a bit distant, And the author of Hebrews contrasts this picture of God's presence on Mount Sinai with the picture of God's presence on Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Now, whenever Mount Zion is referred to, it's somewhat kind of, it's like synonymous with God's presence or God's dwelling place, right? And also the city of Jerusalem is referred to as Mount Zion. The author of Hebrews is particularly relating it to um, uh, the presence of God in heaven. Right? He calls it the heavenly Jerusalem. He says, This is the place where God's presence is in the new covenant. It's in Mount Zion, it's in heaven. And the picture we get of God's presence on Mount Zion is like chalk and cheese with Mount Sinai. Okay, so there's the Old Covenant, Old Testament picture of God's presence on the mountain. It's dark and gloomy. And then you have the picture of Mount Zion. And he says, For under the new covenant, if we've entered into this new way of relating to God through our faith in Jesus, If Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has changed the way you relate to God, then that means the way we respond. um, Sorry, (laughs) I missed my spot there. Okay, the picture we get, yeah, of Mount Mount Zion is this. There's this festive atmosphere. Okay? It's like um, there's a sense of uh, openness. There's, it says there's thousands upon thousands of angels praising God. There's warmth and acceptance. There's relationship and connection. Okay, There's this sense of um, awe of of God's presence and there's joy and there's no fear and there's no trembling. There's no concern for judgment and punishment in that place. God's presence is no longer embodied by darkness and gloom. It's, it no longer breeds feelings of judgment and terror, but rather his presence is embodied by Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we talked about how coming into God's presence at Mount Zion, if you remember last week's message, it's, um, it's like the welcome that the prodigal son receives. Right? When after squandering all his wealth and, and inheritance on and wild living, sinful activities, he comes home to his father and his father sees him coming. And while the father has every right to judge his son for the way that he's treated him, uh, while the father has every right to accuse him of terrible things that he's done, the father welcomes his son with an embrace. And we looked at um, Philip Yancey's version of that story. He makes up this modern day parable. Um, where, where the, the, the daughter of this family comes home after running away and, and she's not sure who will be there to embrace her at the bus station, right? And there's that picture of all of her family members with a big welcome home banner, you know, and there's that, that wonderful embrace, that gracious embrace, and that's, that's the story of what it's like to come to Mount Zion. That's the story of what it's like to enter into God's presence in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. When we place our faith in Jesus, this is our story. Right, all of the judgment of Mount Sinai has fallen on Jesus at the cross. Right, and so the and so the mountain Mount Sinai is eclipsed by Mount Zion because of what Jesus has done. He bore all the punishment, he bore all the all the um, judgment and death that we deserved, all the wrath of God that we deserve. He bore it all in his body on the cross, and this is the gospel. This is and, and so now we get to enter into heaven. We get to enter into Mount Zion. We get to enter into. Um, you know, in part we get to enter into God's presence now and God's presence dwells with us in our life now because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the good news, right? This is the gospel. And so this is what the author of Hebrews uh, is, is doing in, the, in verses 18 to 24. He's just saying, hey, guys, I need to remind you, we have not come to Mount Sinai, right? There's no fear now because of what Jesus has done. We come to Mount Zion this is an exciting thing to come into God's presence. And so after comparing these two pictures of God's presence, the author of Hebrews starts emphasising the way in which God's people responded to God's voice when God spoke at Mount Sinai. Right? The people were in such fear of God that they begged God to stop speaking to them. Right? And I want to look at this idea of God's voice and the way that he speaks to us. Because the author of Hebrews, now that he's given us a picture of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, he says, well, God's speaking in both of those places, and the response of God's people is important, right? And so he says, at Mount Sinai, when God's, God's voice spoke, the earth shook, people were fearing judgment, they were, they were afraid, and they actually said, you know what, God, you can speak to Moses, I'm happy to hear it secondhand. Right? This is a bit of what you see in Exodus 19. It's like, you know what, this is too scary for us. You, you, you deal with God, we'll hear, we'll hear his voice through you, Moses. That'll be, that'll be enough for us. We're too afraid. And today what we're going to see is that if we're under the new covenant, if we've entered into a new way of relating to God through our faith in Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, um, you know, then that means the way we respond to God's voice today is going to be different to the way they did at Mount Sinai, right? We're no longer spoken to God at the foot of Mount Sinai, spoken to by God, sorry, at the foot of Mount Sinai. We're no longer hearing the voice of God secondhand. We're spoken to God from Mount Zion, right? The voice of God comes to us from heaven now. His Holy Spirit indwells us and his voice comes to us from, from our bodies, which are the new temple of God, right? It's, it's, a, it's a different way of listening to God's voice. So let's go to verse 25 in Hebrews 12. And I hope that you can, I'm I'm trying to provide context for um, for what he says here. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, talking about Mount Sinai, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? So this verse is telling us that we must not fall into the trap of thinking that God's voice in our life is a bad thing. Right? The people on Mount Sinai were afraid of God and therefore equated his voice as a negative thing for them. Uh, it's too scary. I, I don't want to hear it. We'll, we're happy to have it secondhand. They refused to listen because they were afraid and the author of Hebrews here is issuing a warning. We're no longer listening to God's voice from a position of fear. Right? We're listening to God's voice as it comes from Mount Zion. Uh, we listen to God's voice now from a position of joy. Right? We listen from the embrace of God as our father. You know, We, we, we listen as a child, listens to, their, listens to their father. God's voice now is a po- positive thing, and to refuse to listen now, to walk away from God's voice now as they did then, makes no sense for us. Right, It's not necessary to avoid those promptings that God is asking of us in our lives. The passage continues, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken May remain. A little bit of our children's story coming through there. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, what's all this business about God's voice shaking things? Right, we're reminded here that God's voice on Mount Sinai literally shook the earth. And then we get this verse out of the book of Haggai. It's, that's the one that's quoted there in, in the commas. It's chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And in referencing this verse, he's trying to remind us that God has promised to come again and to shake things up again. One more time, God is going to come. And he's, refer- he's talking about Judgment Day, the day Jesus returns. That's what it's pointing towards at the end times. And he's going to shake not only the earth then, but also the heavens. And the result will be that whatever is shaken then will be removed for good. Whatever is shaken then is gone for good. Whatever effect God's voice has then is gone for good. All of creation will be sifted by God's voice like gold being refined by fire, like um, chaff being separated from the wheat, like a, like a vine being pruned by the gardener. All that will remain after that time will be those things that are secure in the kingdom of heaven. All that will remain after God comes again will be those things that are of eternal significance and value. And that uh, brings a great challenge to us. We must not refuse God's voice in our life now because there seems to be a way in which God's voice in our lives now is preparing us for when God shakes the earth and the heavens then, right? When God speaks to us now, he's actually preparing us for eternity. There's a sense in which when we hear God's voice in any way, whether it be through scripture, through um, a message, through gathering together with other Christians, there's a sense in which God is trying to create a little bit of a shaking up in our life, (laughs) so that we can let go of some of those things that are just the, the worldly created things and that God would prepare us by that shaking for eternity with him. Because if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen then. <laughs> you know, If we don't get shaken up now by the voice of God in our life, it's, you can be sure once more, God said, once more I will shake the, the earth and not only the earth but the heavens as well. And all that will remain is the things that are secure in the kingdom of heaven. These verses are telling us that if I can tune into God's voice in my life now, if I can allow God to speak to me now, if I can listen to His words to me, He will begin the the shaking process now. That's not supposed to be a scary thing, by the way. <laughs> you know, we're coming to Mount Zion. Remember. I feel God's telling us today that the more willing and open I am to receive his voice in my life now, the shaking up of our lives later might not be such of a shock. <laughs> you know, one of the best ways, of course, we know to listen to God's voice is through the scriptures. Are we coming to the word of God regularly in our lives? It's that reminder again. Oh yeah, the Bible. Yeah, we've got to read that. <laughs> it's not just because we've got to read it. It's not just because that's what Christians do. But it's because that's where we hear the voice of God. That's where we get a bit of a shaking up in our life in a positive way. You know, that's where we, we things get loosened in our life. Things that shouldn't be there, they they get released from our life. You know, are we praying the prayer of the boy Samuel? You know, when he's just a little kid. And Eli tells him to, to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You know, do we pray that prayer when we come to the Bible? Do we pray that prayer at all? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you ever want to know what God, God would like to say to you? 2 Timothy 3.16, many of us will know this verse. All Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Every, every bit of Scripture is God-breathed. He said it and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And training in righteousness is not meant to be ambiguous there. It's like training to be living in a right state before God. It's just training to live the way we'll be after that that once more shaking up of the things that have been created. We've been blessed with this resource of the word of God and if you're feeling like your relationship with God feels stale, you know, maybe you feel like your, your life is stuck, weighed down, you know, a bit like stuck in the mud. <laughs> maybe the pressures and difficulties of the world, the circumstances you're in, I think it's time we opened our Bibles and asked God to shake us up from that. I feel like that's the invitation for today is, is saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm stuck in. This is what I'm going through. This is where my relationships are at, you know, with family and work and whatever else. But I actually need you to shake me up with that. I want to hear what you have to say about this situation. Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. For the word of God, the word of God, we automatically think scripture when we think of that phrase, the word of God but he he is actually referring to the voice of God as well. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. There's nothing God doesn't already know. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account on that day. And so we have more opportunities and freedom in our lives now than ever, right, throughout all of history to connect with God, to invite him to stir us up, to invite him to shake us by his voice. And this is not a, this is not a violent shaking, <laughs> This is not a frustrated father trying to shake us and in anger. It's not that type of shaking. It's not a negative thing. We need not be fearful of what God will say because his voice doesn't come from Mount Sinai anymore. His voice is coming from Mount Zion, right? His voice is coming from heaven. And so the question we're moving towards is this. <clears throat> If God was to shake up your life now, if God was to speak and it shook up your life, what do you think would remain? If you were to walk into the presence of God on Mount Zion and allow him to burn up the things that are of no value, if we for a moment were able to receive everything that God desires to speak to us about our lives, and if we were willing to invite God to sift our hearts, you know, to separate the wheat from the chaff, if we could invite God to start pruning the dead branches in us, I wonder what would be left after he's, after he's done. What do you think God would say if you invited him to speak to you about the situation that you're in? How do you think God would encourage you? You know, he's not going to say negative stuff. He's going to encourage you. He's going to have words of love, words of hope, words of mercy, words of grace. In Psalm 139, David prays a prayer that I think uh, is an expression of the kind of thing we should be asking God. He says, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That last verse, particularly, see if there's any offensive way in me. Have you ever said, God, is there something in my life that's just not going to be here when I get to heaven? Is there something that doesn't marry up with the life you created me for? And then to wait on that and to say, okay, God, what is it? And to come to him in the word and to consider those things as well. And to lead you in the way everlasting. That's a great prayer as well. You know, are you concerned about what direction to take in life? What, um, you know, something, something that's concerning you in your relationships, friends, family, work, Financial decisions, here's a great prayer to pray. Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. You know, what, what would you say is the way that's everlasting, God? <laughs> what's, the, what's, what's the way that's not going to be shaken when, when Jesus returns? How can we add eternal value to the things that we're doing in our life? Are we investing in things that are going to last forever? This changes the way we see our relationships doesn't mean that <laughs> I often think as well uh, this can be a challenging thing like, oh, well, um, you know, for example, I, I used to feel a bit like this just talking to Mark this morning about how I was a carpenter before I decided to move into ministry and I often thought at that time, oh, carpentry, oh, building houses, you yeah, know, that's all. It's not eternally significant, you know what I mean? <laughs> I used to feel that and and what I don't want you to get is um, you know, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. There's nothing wrong with being a carpenter or doing whatever job we do, but it's, 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 our, it's, our, um, it's the way we do it. It's the way we treat the people that we work with. It's the, um, it's the, the way we treat the time that we spend with family and friends. It's the way we uh, carry out our work. That stuff is the stuff that's of eternal significance as well. It's the way we lead others. It's the way we set an example as we're carrying out that day-to-day work. That's that's eternally significant. That stuff won't be shaken up. It's the way we invite others to see Jesus in the in the way that we do what we do here on earth. A good thing to think about would be if I was still a carpenter today, how might a carpenter do their work in heaven? <laughs> you know, that's an important thing to consider. And so um, I want to invite us to respond today to the word, because that's what we need to do. Every time we come to the word of God, we need to respond to it. God's speaking to us today. His voice is here. We're at Mount Zion. We're not at Mount Sinai. There's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of punishment if we've got our faith in Jesus today. And so I wonder, there might be one thing that you're saying, you know what, I wish God would Speak to me about this part of my life. I wish God would give me a bit of direction here. I wish God would uh, help me to know how to treat this person or that person. I wish God would just give me that next step financially. I wonder what it is for you. Some of us might be thinking, I wish you would just speak at all, God. You know, I <laughs> never, never felt you speak to me, God. Maybe today you might like to say, okay, God, speak. Speak, I'm here. I want to listen. And so I wonder what, what will that be for you? What's your way to respond? And I want to invite you to, to do that, to ask God. And um, my prayer is that he would speak. And that we would we would get a, a conviction in our hearts that, yeah, actually I do, I, I did feel like God said this to me. And we'd be able to talk to others about that. And if you have no one else to talk to about that, you'd be able to talk to me about that. And I can pray for you about that as well. And of course, um there's always invitation for me to pray with you. You might say, you know what, I I want I want someone to pray for me that God would speak to me about this. You know, maybe you're not sure what the words are yourself and, and I want to invite you to pray uh, with me. Very happy to do that. And so the other thing I would add before we finish, sorry, I keep thinking of another thing to say. I promise this is the last one. If God speaks to you this week, if if God speaks to you now, if God speaks to you a month from now, and you know it's prompted by this moment where you ask him about whatever it is that you're going through, would you tell me about it? You know, Would you tell me about it? Would you share it with someone and say, hey, I prayed to God about this issue that I've struggled with or about this sin in my life or about this relationship, and then, um, and then he spoke to me and I acted on it in faith, and this is the result. You know, that, is, that would be awesome if you could share that as well. Let me close in prayer. Lord, uh, it's an interesting thing to to ask that you would shake us up, that you would um, loosen us of the things that are not uh, applicable to a life lived in you and in your son. And yet that's our prayer today, God. Would you search our hearts? Would you know our anxious thoughts? Would you help us to see if there's an offensive way in us, if there's something that doesn't marry up with your heart and your dream for our life? Would you lead us in the way that's everlasting? Would you help us to be bold in that way? Would you help us not to be uh, dragged down by the situation or the circumstance that we're in, but instead would you help us to hold fast to, to you and the way that you're leading us? Lord, I pray for those who might feel like right now the work they're doing or the relationships they have um, don't feel like they have any significance or, or eternal value. I pray that you would open our eyes to be able to see the eternal value the eternal significance of what we're doing and the people you've placed us amongst in our lives, that we'd be able to see a way in which we could invite others to to connect with you, that we'd be able to be people who offer a word of hope and offer a word of encouragement and offer a word of love and grace and mercy. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.